Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. The Chronicles of Michael Christopher is uh, available at coasttocoastam.com. Just link up to him through our guest page for tonight. You'll see him writing about not just Van Halen, but all sorts of things regarding music history. And so I, I go back to this point, though, Michael, which is that it, we we are just still, I think, appreciating what he did and his unique genius. And also for the fact that, oddly enough, and this doesn't happen very much in music where he really started a band along with his brother and that band survived a couple of major lineup changes over the years and still kept producing popular and worthy music. Right. I think that that over the years he had some issues with singers because he didn't really care about the vocalist or, or really the lyrics. He didn't care less what they were singing about. At his core, he was he was a fan of the power trio. Uh, he was obsessed with Eric Clapton, but only the Cream era. And he, he loved the sound of the album Live Cream. And I think if it were up to him, he would be happy just playing with his brother Alex and, and later his son Wolfgang on bass. That was the, right. the ideal for him. And he got and Michael Anthony, who was obviously terrific. And um, what what is interesting about that power trio thing, I think, is that some people have argued that that's the purest form of rock in the sense that like a, a triangle replicates a pyramid, it's sturdy from every direction. And if all three performers are equally yoked, you, you, you get these amazing albums like Cream or you get the work of people like um, Van Halen with or without a lead singer like um, David Lee Roth. But when David Lee Roth left, and I happen to be a fan of the the Sammy Hagar period too, I think that was much to his credit as well that the band's sound changed. I mean, there's no denying how it changed, but it was cool in kind of a whole new way. And that was, that's like never happens. Right. And and there were two main differences between Sammy Hagar and David Lee Roth. The first is that Sammy Hagar is miles away a better singer. And the other is that Dave is a better lyricist by leaps and bounds than Sammy is. But with Sammy, Eddie felt that he could express himself more through his musical training, and the band incorporated a lot more keyboards into right. the group. Eddie was, of course, still able to shred. I mean, you listen to all those records that he did with Sammy, he's still ripping it up on guitar. But so many of those songs, I mean, you hear a song like When It's Love, the ballad, or Right yeah. Now, of course, um, they're, they're all led by the keyboards and the piano. Well, that and uh, Love Walks In, which I'll, I'll be popping on later on as a bumper too, which I just happen to think is an amazing melody. But it was, what's interesting about that is that Sammy Hagar was no slouch on the guitar either. I was, I was a fan of him back in the, like the red days. You know, I, I remember him kind of when he was breaking. And so that was an interesting confluence that they were able to put together what something wasn't really considered a super group. It was Sammy Hagar has taken over the lead, but he could play guitar, not like Eddie, but he wasn't a bad lead guitar player on his own. Right. Well, Sammy Hagar, of course, he, he was around one of the best teachers someone could have, and that's Ronnie Montrose when he was in the band Montrose. Right. I love that. Also, oh, what a great band. Yeah. Then, I, love, then, I love Montrose's version of Town Without Pity. That's, that's a great version of that. Oh, my God. I love that song. 
But when Sammy came into Van Halen, he was already a well-established solo artist, and he was playing, um, he was playing state, not stadiums, he was playing arenas. And when he joined up with the band, it was pretty exciting for a lot of people because it was, in a way, like like a supergroup. You had this well-established like. singer. They didn't just find a nobody. It wasn't like ACDC when they found Brian Johnson, and it was somebody who, well, who's that guy? It's everybody knew, I can't drive 55. Everybody knew, three lock box. Right. And it was, it freed up Eddie with, with Sammy's guitar playing. It freed up Eddie to explore different textures within his own music and within his own band. Yeah, that's very interesting. I, I like how you're talking about that. Um, there's no mystery surrounding the death of Eddie Van Halen. I mean, it, this was semi-predictable in a sad way, especially when you see those early photos of the band and there's uh, Eddie Van Halen with that distinctive cigarette stuck on his lower lip while he's playing, you know, for hours on end. Right. And, I mean, it, you hate to see it, you hate to think about that, but it's a good reminder that there are, you know, health implications that come from smoking. And this is this is one of those. It, it ends people's lives too early, too often. Uh, but what is interesting to me is that there was a kind of, um, he was able to capture some real chemistry in his lifetime that not many people do. And in that, even with those lineup changes, he was able to come up, at least for several albums at a time, with other performers, some pretty unique sounds through that chemistry. And that's the mystery that's so elusive because so many other bands could never pull it off. I mean, it, when Freddie Mercury died, I mean, Queen still tours, and there's been a couple of people in the lead position, and that's kind of cool, but it'll never be queen and it was still van halen even with sammy hagar as lead vocalist right especially when you have the guitarist who is the centerpiece of the band it's really hard to find a great band to get around them there's there's dozens of phenomenal guitarists out there but they never find the great band to surround themselves with and eddie was able to do that twice which is, it's unheard of in music. Um, and again, he had to grow a lot with Sammy Hagar, and I think that that contributed to the longevity of the band. They yeah. were able to survive the, the in, influx of grunge music because they didn't sound like a band from the Sunset Strip. They didn't sound like a hair metal band. Yeah. A constant evolution within the group. That's true. Yeah, I love that. In fact, uh, that's a really good point because there were so many Van Halen wannabe bands that came out and they were good. They had an album or two and always a couple of good tracks. And, you know, I'm always game for a little Great White every so once in a while or Rat or, you know. Throwing them round and round, you've got me all in. But there's one main difference with Eddie and all those other guitarists in those bands. You never saw him without a guitar in his hands. And and by all accounts, he wasn't really comfortable without it in his hands. And that's that's how he chose to to speak to people, not through interviews or coming up to the microphone during concerts. And when the band wasn't on the road or on the stage, 90% of the time, Eddie would be in the studio or in his hotel room practicing. Now, he did his share of partying, and that's well documented. Oh, yeah. He was most at home with his guitar, and I think that's one of the things that separated him from other musicians who were watching the clock in the studio, waiting for the time there to end so they could get out, go to the clubs, experience their fandom. They wanted to get all their accolades from being famous, and I really don't think Eddie cared much for that. He cared about the music. 
We're talking with music historian Michael Christopher. You can link up to him through coasttocoastam.com. Um, yeah, everything you said is true. I think what's interesting to point out, though, is that I met him a couple of times. Have you ever? Did you ever meet him? Well, no, I, I met him in 1998, but it was in one of those backstage kind of cattle call things where you right. go up, do the quick meet and greet, get a picture with a bunch of people that you don't even know, and then you move on. So you get to say something like, thank you very much for the music, and right. move along. Next. Yeah, that's that's pretty much what I had, too, although I was uh, I was the morning host on a, a rock station at the time, so I got a little bit more time, but it was, it was very much like the same thing. And... It, what I somebody asked me on Twitter about this tonight, and I told them that what I my memory of every time I met the Sammy Hagar led Van Halen backstage was just how nice they were, mm-hmm. and they they were never. I mean, I've been backstage all my whole life, right? And I mean, like, it got to a point where it was just another day at the office. As cool as it is to meet famous people and get autographs and whatever, um, and I'm as dopey as the next guy. But here we were all geeking out because it was Eddie when Eddie Van Halen walked into the room, and he was just perfectly nice about it. Introverted. But he just could he never he didn't make anybody feel uncomfortable for the fawning. And that's I measure uh, somebody's worth on that. I don't know if everybody's had that same experience, but that's how I will remember it. And I saw it. It happened twice. So I, I had a feeling so much about Eddie Van Halen that he would almost go out of his way to make people feel more comfortable around him because he knew what it was like. He yeah. knew what it was like to be to, to sit there and be in, in the presence of one of your idols and, and, and freak out a little bit. But he wanted to make whoever it was, whether it was a fan coming up to meet him for the first time or, or some guitarist that was even very well known on his own. I mean, there's there's legions of guitarists out there who right. are, are well known by their first and last name that, that they, they were quaking in their boots when they first met right. and he was just as kind as could be with them yeah like joe satriani steve i i mean yeah. some other people are pretty pretty darn good and you know people forget like he also had a little bit of fun with doing the whole thing the beat it solo right and oh, uh working with michael jackson and quincy jones that seems so out of place um, well, he knew Quincy Jones, and that's that's one of those great stories in rock and roll where Quincy Jones called up Eddie, and he said, uh, hey, Eddie, it's Quincy. And Eddie said, Quincy who? He said, it's Quincy Jones. And Eddie hung up the phone on him. Ah. Quincy <laughs> right. called back, and he said, hey, it's... It, it really is Quincy, and he's what, what do you what, what do you want? He's like, look, I'm I'm producing Michael Jackson's new album. You know, he did the album off the wall. He's got this new album that I'm working on, and I'd like you to come down and, and maybe play a play a guitar solo or something on it. And he goes, yeah, no problem, Quincy. I'll, I'll come down. I'd, I'd be honored to come down and work with you. And because Michael Jackson at that point wasn't Michael Jackson, so Eddie. Well, it's Off the Wall was pretty big, but it didn't blow up like Thriller did. I mean, right. I, you got to remember, it was already a number one album on R&B and pop charts, but I, I'll go with you on a Thriller was a whole new level. That's just all there is to it. Yeah, that's just worldwide into the stratosphere. You could go into some cave somewhere and somebody <laughs> had the Thriller record. Right. Uh, but when Eddie did go into the studio to work on, on the track, that became Beat It. He just did two improvised solos. Uh, they kind of melded the two of them together, and that was it. Walked out, and he was finished. Never got a dime for it, never asked for one, and it went on to become one of the biggest selling pop singles of all time. Well, and the album is still number one. Or the album, yeah. right? I, I believe Thriller is still the number one selling 
single album, not double album, but the number one singing, selling single album. Yes, it is. It is. And that's, that's one of those things where you just marvel and say, wow, and he didn't get a dime for playing on that record. Yeah. And he, he really didn't care. I think the, an even funnier thing was that he didn't, the band was off the road at the time. Van Halen was off the road. They were all doing their own things. He didn't think anyone would ever know. He thought that oh, no one's ever going to hear this. And there was a story where a couple months after the, or a couple weeks after the record came out, when Beat It came out, uh, David Lee Roth had pulled into a, a 7-Eleven, pick up some soda or whatever before he was going to the studio when he heard Beat It blasting out of somebody's car. And he said, this guitarist, it, he's ripping off Eddie. He sounds just like Eddie. And he got to the studio. He was fuming. He said, you wouldn't believe it. Michael Jackson has this guy on his record. He That's sounds great. just like you. And <laughs> Eddie, you know, bashfully kind of said, well, David, it, was, it is me. That's me on there. And they said, all right, well, what did we get for it? How much money did you make? Uh, <laughs> That's so David Lee money. Roth. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, not to mention, uh, in an odd sort of way, you know, everybody always accused David Lee Roth of selling out all the time, right? That he was, he gave up on his rock roots. And even though Eddie Van Halen cut that solo, uh, he never suffered that. It was always, in a way, because I was working in hard rock radio at the time, and it was always viewed the other way around, that he elevated um, Michael Jackson, not he lowered himself to perform on an R&B record or a non-metal album. That's really interesting that you've, you've mentioned that because it would be looked at if it was anybody else. That, oh, what are they doing? What are, they're taking right. a step down by going into this other genre. And what it did was that brought Michael Jackson to the rock audience. That brought him to the, the audience right. that might not into his music and all of a sudden they start thinking wow well this this michael jackson guy he must be pretty cool he's got eddie van helm play on his record he's got paul mccartney on there and uh we should give this guy a chance and that's the rock world and then next yep. thing you know he transcends all genres and a lot of that has to do with eddie van halen listen to more coast to coast am every weeknight at 1 a.m eastern and go to coast to coast am.com for more